The following episode contains explicit language and may not be suitable for all listeners. Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. If there's anything that marks Issa Rae's leap from maker of YouTube shorts to industry player, it's what Jimmy Fallon brings up during her appearance on The Tonight Show. They're talking about her HBO show, Insecure. Uh, now, uh, uh, Insecure, this, this is uh, season one, now two. Yes. Uh, and you're currently writing three. Uh, it, it became a giant thing. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, everyone loves it. All the critics love it. The fans love it. The Obamas love it. Oh, yeah. The, shout out to my Obamas. Um. <laughs> They're not even just casual fans. At a Christmas party at the White House, the former president leaned in to tell her he especially loves the show's soundtrack. Issa Rae is just 33. It wasn't long ago that she was really begging her friends to work for free to make little YouTube movies. Now she's an acknowledged creative force. The third season of Insecure premieres later this year. HBO recently announced they're collaborating with her on two other completely different shows. That's Judd Apatow territory. Oh, sorry, Judd's only got two shows. I'm Washington Post national arts reporter Jeff Edgers. And from The Post and WBUR in Boston, this is Edge of Fame, a podcast about the life that happens before, behind, and beyond the spotlight. On HBO's Insecure, Issa Rae stars as a fictionalized version of herself named Issa D. The show's about what you'd find in classic sitcoms, office conflict, dating missteps, friendship drama, with something that is rarely, if ever, seen on TV the way casual racism plays out in day-to-day life. Hey, Issa, hey! Hey, how's beach day going? How are you doing? Are you so stressed? I would be so stressed. Like, so stressed. Uh, It's great, thank you. In this scene, Issa's just walked in on her all-white co-workers gossiping behind her back. They quickly leave the room, but not before Issa confronts Frida, a colleague and friend who she sort of thought was her ally. Hey, Frida, do you have a sec? I have all the sex you need. Nope. I heard it. Yeah. Um, were you guys discussing beach day? Oh, it's no big deal. We were just talking, and a few of the others had some concerns. Are they concerns that they couldn't talk to me about? I'm sure they could have, but they just emailed me to double-check a couple little things. Wait, so there were emails, too? I, I wasn't cc Oh, they didn't want to seem like they were questioning your judgment. But they weren't sure how you'd react. But... Everyone knows this is your event, and I assured them that you have everything covered. Do you like a toupee? I'll see you later. In a typical, let's say white sitcom, situations like these might fade into the background. But Issa's our protagonist, so we see this from her side, the outside. In this case, she goes home after work and rants to her boyfriend, Lawrence. They're having secret white meetings, and they're sending secret white emails. I made one mistake during my presentation and they lost all faith in me. You know, now I'm the black girl who fucked up. And white people at my job fuck up all the time. They didn't say shit to Caleb when he had the kids make those racist puppets. Where are those emails? I didn't get shit in my inbox. One of Insecure's producers describes these types of scenes really well. They're the, quote, paper cuts of racism. Not life-threatening necessarily, but representative of the types of things you experience every day if you're not white. But even though she's drawing from real experience, the Issa you hear on the show is just a character. 
That's where a real-life conflict enters this drama. The real Issa is not the TV Issa, and that real Issa isn't as easy to crack as the character on HBO. It isn't just me. Her friends describe her as reserved or introverted, which helps explain why it wasn't easy to get a ton of personal information out of her. I did get her to open up a bit in an Italian restaurant on West Hollywood. Hi guys, would like to hear the couple special for today? Sure. Okay. We got to talking about her childhood. She was born in L.A. in 1985 and went to middle and high school there. But she spent her early school years in Senegal, where her dad's family is from. Then they moved all the way back to Potomac, Maryland. But her next transition, that was the hardest. From Maryland back to L.A. when she was 12. For me, it was just not necessarily fitting in with some of the black kids just because they were like, girl, who are you? Like, you're talking white. Like, you think you're better than us. And that wasn't the case. I just wasn't familiar with that concept. You know, I like the same music as everybody else. I was bumping Diddy. Like, it was literally just the way that I spoke and the way I wore my hair. Like, I just didn't fit in with what was considered black and cool at the time. This surprises me a little. Here's this writer and actress whose work is so closely tied to black culture, saying she didn't always feel comfortable operating in that space. You know, I was a target because of that. And, so and what, did you, what, what did that do to your sensibility or like how did you respond to that? What did that do, do for you? It made me just hyper aware of my blackness in a way that I wasn't before. And I just had all these questions about what it meant to be black. And I think as a result, I started to play into what it meant to be black, just in terms of the way that I spoke and trying to adjust and how I interacted with other people and who I surrounded myself with. She got interested in theater in high school while continuing to do well academically. She was such a good student, in fact, that she got into Stanford. At the time, Stanford had 10,000 undergrads, 694 of them identified as black. There were five of us that got into Stanford from my high school. I applied to the black dorm. I was the only one, one out of five, that didn't get into the black dorm. I got into another dorm, but still was constantly there and was part of the Committee on Black Performing Arts. and. You know, I wasn't part of the BSU or anything like that, but I was just, you know, hanging around with a bunch of black kids. Like, just made me appreciate it more and chase after it more. And after a while, it was just like, this is, this is kind of all I know and what I appreciate. In spite of her theater experience during high school, she wasn't too inspired when she got to Stanford. I went to a production, and it just, like, even seeing what the production consisted of just didn't appeal to me. It just didn't yeah. interest me. And, I like, the, the black kids that I saw that were involved were always relegated to, like, small parts too and not to say that I imagine that I needed to play the lead or anything like that it just so she came up with another idea forget trying to fit into other people's productions Ray launched her own projects music videos and a web series after graduating in 2007 she worked odd jobs before returning to an idea she first had in college a web series called awkward black girl let me introduce myself my name is Jay and I'm awkward and black Someone once told me those were the two worst things anyone could be. That someone was right. Where do I start? The first episode of Awkward Black Girl came out on February 3rd, 2011. That's five years before Insecure premiered. The first YouTube episodes were low budget and rough around the edges. But you can already hear the kernels of what would make Insecure so popular years later. In a scene from the first episode, Issa's alone in her apartment wearing sweatpants after getting dumped by her boyfriend. And if you ignored our language warning at the top, well, it's about to get pretty explicit. So now, here I am writing violent rap lyrics in my bedroom. Bitch nigga, use a liar. I'll set your face on fire. I don't give a fuck. 
It's two Nicki Minaj's. Stupid bitch, nigga. I hope you drown. That'll turn my frown upside down. I'm a bad bitch. You're a pussy, nigga. What the fuck rhymes with pussy, nigga? Yes, you deserve to die, and I hope you burn in hell, nigga. Burn in hell, nigga. Burn it, burn in hell, nigga. It's been my secret way of coping with stress since sixth grade. It gets me through my job, my relationships, and my life. It's odd, but what can I say? I'm awkward. The series went viral. To this date, the first episode has nearly 2.5 million views. She also raised $56,000 on Kickstarter to fund the rest of the first season. Eventually, music mogul Pharrell scooped it up and released the second season on his own media label. In an appearance on The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore back in 2015, Issa explains that this unconventional route to success wasn't exactly by choice. I am, but I feel like I've had to go the untraditional route because I've tried to break in um, mainstream Uh media-wise, and it's just I've been shut out, I've been told I don't have an audience, and I feel like the Internet has allowed me um, to, to find that niche audience. Does, does it find, feel like it, there's an invisibility thing? Is that I what do. It is? I just think that we're not on the radar uh-huh. of, um, of executives who happen to be white men. Uh-huh. And if you're not in the circle... All those white men couldn't ignore her for long. The same year she talked to Wilmore, she published a memoir based on her web series. It hit the bestseller list. Then Insecure arrived the following year. But as her public profile evolved, as she became a major player, Ray didn't necessarily change... Her awkwardness just sort of morphed. The conflict shifted. How do you embrace fame without drowning in it? How do you give so much to the audience and keep a little bit for yourself? I'm headed to the BET Awards with Issa Rae to find out. That's in a minute. Welcome back to the world of Issa Rae, the celebrity in progress, the web star in transition. I met up with Issa in a room at the Ritz-Carlton before we headed out to the BET award show, where she was presenting. Oh, you want to see? It's clear she's in her element, blasting some of her favorite artists, Future and Young Jeezy, sipping Prosecco, and surrounded by her stylist and her high school pals. But I can't help but feel a little awkward as I try to blend in. She's real quiet, not particularly interested in small talk as she sits in a chair getting her hair done. It's probably my fault. I'm some random dude with a microphone, clearly invading her personal space. I check in with her friend Jerome, trying to get some insight. Right? Is that right? She's very awkward. Yeah? Well. She is awkward. Right. Is she, though? Yes. Now, like 100%. Awkward, it's awkward because awkward, I think of awkward as like being kind of gawky and mm-hmm. not knowing how to interact in some ways. But I think of her as, I mean, someone who's very talented and successful and beautiful. Yeah. Can they be awkward still? Totally. Yeah. You can okay. totally still be awkward and have all of those like outward facing things that I think society wants you to have. Like right. beautiful talent, things like that. But, like, she would much prefer to just be alone versus, like, having to interact with people. Like, that's yeah. that's the awkwardness that happens there. Prentice Penny is Insecure's showrunner. He has a theory on that awkwardness. I definitely think she self-identifies as a writer. So she th- uh, she's, that's a very interesting thing. So you're saying a writer has a very internal inner life and is introverted generally, you know, a lot of times. 
And that's a lot different from an actress or an actor who's a star, right, with the name and the show. Yeah, I mean, I think anytime that you feel like you're quote-unquote performing, there's a part of it that is there for show. I've noticed the way her wheels turn, it, I think, is always from the perspective of how do all these sort of puzzle pieces fit together. Um, and, and in no I- irony, she does a lot of, we do a lot of puzzles in the writer's room. So, you know, like there's a part of her that I think is just trying to understand. You how mean a physical, you have a physical puzzle in the writer's room you're working on? Well, we have, yeah, we have multiple physical puzzles. Huh? Yeah, you got it. You got room. After about an hour in the hotel room, Issa and I jump in a black SUV to head to the BET award show. So do you like doing this sort of thing? Going to an award show, dressing up, going, you know. This like is, is a event. very strong word. I typically door. dislike these things, but this is my first time at the BET Awards. I watch them on TV. I'm very excited about the so concert. But otherwise, no, it's an ordeal. There's a lot of pressure. Issa's the type of person who's happier at home in pajamas than doing the whole red carpet thing. Even she'll admit, though, sometimes it's nice to get the invite. I don't get invited to things like the Grammys and... You still don't? Why would I? I don't know. I, mean... I just, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I just got here. <laughs> and we just have a, sh- a television show and... So Grammys and Billboard Music Awards, things like that, I just watch them on TV just as a fan. And so it's going to be really exciting to be like, oh, my gosh, Sis is here. Oh, possibly Drake. Drake probably won't come. I think at the heart of it, as someone like I think Issa and I have a slightly similar background, like um, she's part Senegalese and I'm Nigerian. This is insecure writer Amy Aniobi. And I think that there's that sort of immigrant mentality that you always have to work hard no matter what. And also, no matter how much success you get, you got to keep working hard because it can be taken away. Part of that hustle means you do your best to embrace public appearances, even if doing that goes against your nature. Do you expect, I noticed it yesterday, but people are starting to plug you with questions. Like, what's going on with Lawrence, right? I mean, what? Oh, yeah. That's dope. <laughs> I love that. I love that people are curious because it shows that they're into the show. I'm, I never take offense to that. I... I only take offense when people think it's my actual life, but... um... To be fair, Issa kind of set herself up for that one. She named her insecure character after herself. I just didn't think. I just wasn't thinking. I was just so pressed with telling a good story that I didn't think about the fact that this character was named after me going to air. And even while shooting it, it still didn't cross my mind until it aired. You you regretted it all now? A little bit, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Why? But I... Because... I just like the idea of playing a character, and even yeah. no matter how close the character may be to me, it's there's still a distinction that I am a specific person and this character is a specific person, and I feel like naming her Issa blurred that line. There's a particular moment at the end of season one that stands out here. Fictional Issa cheats on her boyfriend Lawrence with this guy Daniel. It was like I remember when the um, finale of season one came on when you know Lawrence confronts her about. Daniel that night and just the some of the vitriol that people guys were like tweeting at her on Twitter were just like insane. Prentice Penny again. You know, you're just like this is not a thing that she actually went out and lived and she's just retelling that story. You know, this is stuff that we, you know, created in the writer's room. This wasn't a this is not autobiographical. Even if reality and fiction get blurred sometimes. All this attention is a good indicator that fans of all backgrounds really are finding ways to relate to the show. 
you know, I'm proud that it is a very specifically black show, but it doesn't necessarily deal with just black issues. The thing and that bothers you, I think, is that no one says, oh, Tom Hanks, that guy's like the white Denzel. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely an aspect, and I think it's just people relegate black people problems to just black people problems and distance themselves from an experience because they just automatically assume that they'll never be able to relate and I think that that's insulting and that's you know kind of separatist but at the same time if you do that I'm also like well that's not who I'm trying to reach anyway and I also don't care about you so whatever she's doing seems to be working a Nielsen study shows that 61 percent of Insecure's audience isn't black it's part of a recent shift in the tv landscape after years of lily-white sitcoms like Friends, Sex and the City, and Lena Dunham's Girls, shows with black leads are reaching more of the mainstream than ever before. Shows like Scandal, Blackish, Atlanta. Director Ava DuVernay, who I also profiled for this series and whose TV show Queen Sugar is part of the new wave, can't help but cheer for Ray and Insecure. I like the specificity. The way that she's going to talk to her girls, the different than the way that Lena Dunham is going to talk to her girls, and that there was a real um, outcry from black women and women of color during the time of girls, Lena Dunham's girls, saying, well, she doesn't have any black friends. And at the time, I was like, okay, she doesn't have any black friends. Like, those are her friends. Like, I don't, we don't want it need to be inserted into this woman's story if she's saying, I don't know that experience and I don't want to force it. We need our own show where we can have our own experiences where it doesn't have to be forced. And so I feel like we're women and we love these stories and we try to insert ourselves in them and see ourselves in them, but we are not in them. Black and brown women are not in them. And so the thing about Issa's show, it's the same Sex and the City girls, friends thing, but now we're there. And it's not just token there as tokens, it's there as the center. And it's not just there as the center, but it's friggin' funny. She's really funny and she has a voice. And so it's just a pleasure to watch, and I'm just happy, happy to finally see us. Back in the car, we're approaching the Microsoft Theater in downtown L.A., and I turn the conversation to fame. I tell Lisa she's famous. She's not buying it. I think fame is dead. I think everything's sort of temporary. There's temporary fame, and I feel like I have temporary fame during a specific season, but I I think the era of, like, movies stardom only exists for like the older crowds of the George Clooney's and the Brad Pitt's and the Angelina Jolie's and for music stars. Issa may think fame is dead, but it doesn't feel like it here as fans scream her name and the media gaggle pleads for her attention. When we finally make it into the theater, I feel like I've gone through the ringer, out of breath, totally frazzled. I've somehow even lost my press badge. And Issa? How was that? The typical red carpet. Eventually, it's Issa's time to present. She waits for her name to be called, looking nothing like the awkward black girl who made her a YouTube star. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome from the hit TV show Blackish, Yara Shahidi and the co- Well, Shahidi does star in ABC's Blackish, but Issa Rae was the one standing on stage. Welcome, Issa Rae, to the stage! There's an irony to hundreds of reporters and fans screaming Issa's name, correctly, outside on the red carpet, 
and then having the show's announcer mess it up on the literal big stage. It all feels very Issa. Of course, this wasn't her first awkward award show experience. Here's Prentice Penny. <laughs> At the Golden Globes, reporters were like talking to her, and then like the second that like somebody bigger name walked up, <laughs> you know, she sort of got like pushed to the side almost literally. day after the award show, I got back in touch with Issa's publicist, Vanessa. I wanted to get Issa's take on the whole mix-up, which is how we ended up at that restaurant in West Hollywood. I was like, I felt like it was karma, because I was literally having a conversation backstage, because somebody was like, oh, why are award, maybe award shows shouldn't be live, you know, there should be a, um, a five-second delay, and I was like, no, literally, very, very, I love when award shows are live, because that's when shit gets fucked up, and so... There you have it, it happened. At this point, there's no surprise. (laughs) It's just my destiny at this point, you know? Like, what can go wrong will go wrong. Destiny or poetic comedic luck, whatever it is, the truth is it's becoming harder to imagine that kind of mix-up happening in the future, especially when you consider how many projects she's got underway. I just am attracted to good stories. I think currently, I want to just milk all the different stories. Like, I, I, I think that it will, there will, I will always be doing some sort of black storytelling or yeah. African storytelling. But yes, would I do other stories that didn't just involve black characters? Yes, I think with other people of color, other cultures, things like that, that interests me. But I think, like, so many people have white people covered. I don't necessarily need to go into that space. I don't really have a desire to. I think those those stories will always exist. They'll always be great or not great, whatever, I don't care, but I am interested in just showing other parts of the American experience. One of her two HBO shows in development, Sweet Life, is a drama that takes place in Windsor Hills, aka the Black Beverly Hills. She's also writing a movie script for Ava DuVernay. Rumors say it's a buddy comedy starring Rihanna and Lupita Nyong'o. A central thread running through all of her work, though, is showing how racism impacts day-to-day life. I think the beauty is to be able to be sex in the city and still tackle race, because that's like the what what being black is. You're, you could be having brunch, and then you have a conversation about the person that you know got shot and how much it affected you, you know, and how much it, how depressing it is at times to to realize that this country, in effect doesn't want you here and wants you to fail and and is scared of you and hates you. Do you say to yourself, look, now I have a platform that I didn't have two years ago or five years ago, and i got to figure out a way to use that a little bit more and make it right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yes, I think about that daily, but I also think about what I as an individual can actually do, given that I don't consider myself extremely articulate in the ways of a politician or an activist. You know, I think I'm more of a behind-the-scenes motivator, if anything, if anything, and it's just figuring out the best way to use what I have to empower others. For fans concerned she'll grow out of her awkward phase and become just another Hollywood star, she says it best in The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. I don't is. want you to ever be not awkward, though. That's not a problem. <laughs> I will always be that. You will always be that, yes. yeah. Yes, I can't. Like, I still, I saw you in the hallway earlier, and it was great. But I was, I kept thinking about coming back from the hallway and seeing you again. And would we have to, like, would I have to acknowledge you? Would you acknowledge me still? <laughs> like, of course like, I would. What do you mean? I, yeah, I I just, that's the things that I think about. 
Would we acknowledge it? What are you talking about? Because I just saw you and we already said hi. So, yeah, we, like, we, would we, I we, say, we, would I be like, oh, hey, get... <laughs> <laughs> If you haven't already, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Edge of Fame is a production of The Washington Post and WBUR, Boston's NPR station. This episode was produced by Josh Swartz and edited by Jessica Alpert and Iris Adler. Sound designed by John Parati and Paul Vikas. Our executive producers are Jessica Alpert, Jessica Stahl, and me. For more information about today's show and other episodes of Edge of Fame, go to WashingtonPost.com slash Edgers podcast. If you do the Twitter thing, you can find me at Jeff Edgers. That's Jeff spelled G-E-O-F-F. See you next week.